Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. It is really a privilege to be here with you today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity, and I get the real privilege of going to all four of our sites and uh, having a chance to uh, be at all four, and uh, it's my privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, before we dive into God's Word, this last week of this series that, uh, that we've been calling the Gospel at Work, um, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, I pray the words that I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think is together, we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that, that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who has given us the gift of your love and grace, a relationship with you. And Lord, you don't just stop giving. You give us more and more and more. You give us work to do, uh, to be a part of your work in this universe. And as we're going to talk about today, you also give us times of rest. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as I just said, we've been talking to you for the last five weeks, for all of September, about this whole idea of work. And we've been saying things to you like, it doesn't matter who you are, you have work to do. It doesn't matter if you are retired. You know, we, I love saying this, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose, God still has work for you to do. And if you're a student, you have work to do. Your studies are your work right now as you prepare uh, for a career, or who knows, maybe many careers during your lifetime. You have work to do. And as I was talking with a bunch of you this morning, as you were coming in, I was, I was saying hello, I was asking how stuff was going. You know what? There was one word that I heard over and over and over again, probably from six or seven different people. And you know what it was? I said, how's life? And you know what the answer was? Busy. How many of you can relate to that? Yeah. Uh, this, is, uh, this is my calendar from the last month, and I know you can't read that, but, but trust me, it's been busy. September's always a busy month for me, and, uh, and there are a lot of days where I have a lot of stuff I have to get done. One of those days on there, uh, I had meetings. I had eight different meetings. First one started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Last one ended at 10.30 that night, and it was a long day. I don't think I even had time to grab lunch. All of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't eat lunch today, you know? You probably had days like that. You've all experienced days where there's just a lot of busyness. And honestly, it's a part of our society we live in. Um, I saw this on the other net the other day. It said, you, can, you can't have a million-dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. It's kind of what our world teaches, right? That if you want to succeed in life, you have to work hard. And if you work hard, you can succeed, but, but you've got to put in the time, you've got to put in the hours, you've got, to, you've got to study, you've got to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Interestingly enough, with all our technology, people work more today than ever. One uh, study I saw, Gallup poll said this, it said, the average American works 47 hours a week. It's not a 40-hour work week anymore. It's 47 a week, maybe even more than that, probably a lot more than that in some cases. And uh, that works out to over nine hours a day. It's not an eight-hour day anymore. It's more than that. We are taught from little on we have to work hard. And in fact, we've got this thing that, you know, we refer to as the American work ethic. Here's another statistic for you. Americans work a lot. Now, they work 137 hours less 
or they work 137 hours more per year than Japanese workers and 260 hours a week or a year more than British workers and a, and a full almost 500 hours a week more than French workers. We work a lot. And maybe some of you have experienced this. I know I have. When I saw this, I was like, man, that is so perfect. It's called Smonday. You know what Smonday is? It's that moment on Sunday when you start to dread Monday. When you realize it's not the weekend anymore, you know. Now, uh, now I, um, this is my wife Betty, and uh, we both went to Concordia over here. And I remember vividly when we were in college, uh, the moment every Sunday evening when we would get a pizza. We used to have this thing on campus called the Wedge. It was a bunch of kids that like made pizzas right in the kitchen there on campus, and you could get a pizza. So we would order a pizza. We would sit down. We would watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> and the moment that was over, I was like, "Oh crap." Weekend's over. Monday's coming, right? And we haven't honestly been helping much over this last series with all this, have we? Because we've been telling you over and over and over again that you got to work because God wants you to work. And, and your work is really, really important because your work is part of God's work in this universe. And we've been throwing Bible verses at you like this one. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Because you're not working for human beings. You are working for the Lord. Does that put a little more pressure on you? And we've said things like this. We've said, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Which, by the way, suggests the opposite is true. But if you don't labor, that is in vain. And I don't know about you, but after this series, I'm exhausted. Which is why it's really important that before we end this series... We talk about one more concept that the Bible teaches about work, and it's this concept. It's the concept of Sabbath. Sabbath. In Exodus 20, we heard these words just a little bit ago. Remember the Sabbath day, God teaches, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, the Bible says. It's one of God's commandments to the children of Israel after he had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, 400 years of slavery. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but part of those commandments, one of those commandments to them was that you, you should work. You should work for six days, but there's, there ought to be a day every week where you take a day off. And now, I say that with a little uh, bit of hesitancy because what we think of as a day off isn't really what Sabbath is. I don't know about you, but, but what I think of as a day off is the day, my day off is the day I do my laundry or get caught up on homework or get caught up on other work I have to do or get the gardening work done or whatever it is, right? That's a day off. A day off means I just don't go to that job, but I got other work to do. But folks, that is not what a Sabbath is. In the Bible, we're taught that there's this thing called a Sabbath, which is a day every week where you accomplish absolutely nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but um, knowing I was going to be preaching on this, I tried to be much more disciplined on this for the last month. Friday's my day off, and typically, again, it's a day where I get other stuff done. But for the last month, every Friday, I've tried to do absolutely nothing. 
I mean, maybe like the most thing I accomplished was I, I got through the end of a season on Netflix that I've been wanting to get through for a while, right? And you know how I felt every Friday at the end of the day? Guilty. Exactly. I felt like I had wasted a day. But that's wrong. And that's not what God teaches us. In fact, he teaches us that the Sabbath is a gift from him. And that's the first reason I want to encourage you to think very seriously about your life and your schedule and figure out if you can't start to take a Sabbath, a day of rest, a day when you accomplish nothing. And the, the first reason you should do that is because God says to you as a gift to you. There was this uh, time in the New Testament where Jesus and his disciples were wandering around, and, and actually, uh, they weren't keeping the Sabbath, at least the way it was supposed to be kept in, in, in Jesus' day. And, and so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, kind of came to Jesus, and they're like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be a rabbi. You're supposed to be teaching these disciples, and yet you're not observing the Sabbath properly. And Jesus said this amazing thing. He said the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the needs or the requirements of the Sabbath. And that's a really important topic because um, one of the things I want to make sure that you don't walk away with today is one more list of things you're supposed to do, which is not to do something. Now, the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift that God gave his people, as we're going to see from the very beginning of this world. Now, uh, let's get into the story a little bit more that we heard read. Now, again, the children of Israel were these people people that we now think of and know as Jews, and they weren't called Jews, not then yet. They were, they were simply called the children of Israel. Israel's another name for a guy named Jacob. And, uh, and, and so these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this children of Israel, had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That means generation after generation after generation, they worked seven days a week. And most recently in those 400 years, do you know what their main job was? Their main job was taking straw and mud and making bricks for the big construction projects going on in Israel. And they did that seven days a week, 10 to 15 hours a day. That's what they did. But now God had rescued them. He had, he, had, he had sent Moses and God had rescued them out of slavery and now they gathered at this mountain and there at the mountain God said, now here's what you're going to do to be my people. Here's the plans I have for you as a people to follow me and to set an example for all the other nations about what life is supposed to be like. But there was only one problem. They had a journey to take and that journey was going to lead them through the wilderness where there was not any food. But God said, don't worry about it. I got that covered. And, uh, and we're told in, in Exodus chapter 16 that, that the, in the morning when they got up, the camp was covered with something like dew. And, uh, and, and as the, the dew kind of burned off, there was, there was actually this flaky substance that they were able to gather to eat. And I love this part. The Bible, by the way, has incredible sense of humor sometimes. The people walked out and they looked at it and they said, what is it? Now, do you know what that word is in their original language? It's manna. And that's what they called it. They called it manna. So for the next 40 years, every day, they ate what is it for breakfast? 
this thing called manna. But, but what's really interesting is not just what it was that God gave them to eat. It's the rules God put around it. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out every morning and gather what you're going to need to eat that day. And he said, but, but listen to this. Don't keep any of it till the next day. Get, gather just enough for that day and eat it and don't keep any of it. Well, guess what some of them did? They kept it. Now, why would they do that? They're thinking, I'm not sure it's going to be there tomorrow morning, right? And I want to make sure I've got something to eat tomorrow. And, and so they kept it and, and it, that didn't work. It just became wormy and spoiled and rotten and it smelled. What was God trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them, you can rely on me every day. Every day, I'm going to provide that food for you. You can trust me. You can rely on me every day. But, but, but then there was this really kind of cool thing he said. He said, on the sixth day, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather twice as much as you need because the seventh day is going to be that Sabbath for you. It's going to be that day of rest for you where you don't have to do anything, not even gather your food. And God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to miraculously make that food last two days that day. And God did. And again, I want you to think what that did for them. Now, it says, we're told in, uh, later in verse uh, 27, it says, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but there wasn't any food there. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? By the way, I think God looks at me and says that sometimes, right? He said, they must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. See, God was teaching them right from the start that, first of all, he could be dependent on, that he was going to do amazing things for them, and that that one day of rest a week was his gift to his people. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in Israel for the Sabbath. See, because they celebrate that Sabbath there across the whole country. It's by law what they have to do, whether, whether they believe in God or not. They practice this thing called Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, nothing happens in Israel. Everything shuts down. Now, for them, the day begins at sundown the previous day. And I want to talk about that a little bit more with you later, too. Um, but the day begins at sundown, and it goes till, till sundown the next day. And so, so for that day, that, there's nothing to do. The stores are closed. There's just nothing to do. Now, now they do some kind of stupid things, too. Like they believe even pressing a button is work, so you can't press buttons on the Sabbath. So if you're in a hotel, how do the elevators work? Because you can't press buttons. You know what they do? They stop at every floor. So if you need to go up in the elevator, you stand there and wait. Eventually, it'll get there. The doors will open. You get on, and then you just ride it to whatever. It stops at every floor. You get off at your floor. That way, you don't have to work by pushing a button. It's kind of silly. But you don't really have anywhere to go anyway, so it doesn't matter how long you have to wait for the elevator. I'm telling you, Sabbath in Israel is amazing because it forces you to slow down and do nothing. And, and, and you see people, I was in Haifa one year for, for, for Sabbath, and you just see families walking up and down the beach together, just spending time together. There's nothing else to do. I, I saw one guy, literally, I was out of my balcony in my hotel, and I looked down, and I saw this guy sitting on a bench. And, and then I left and I did a bunch of other, I took a walk and I, got, I took a shower and did all the stuff. I came back like five hours later, that same guy was still sitting on that bench, just watching the waves, kind of lost in his thoughts. 
Sabbath is just a beautiful thing. It's an incredible gift from God. Now, the other reason you should take a Sabbath is because, really, it's a form of worship. It's, it's a way of letting God know that you trust him. Again, this is what God told the people through Moses. He says, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. See, one of the things it does when you're not trying to get anything done, when you're not trying to get anything accomplished, is you have time to spend with God. Do you ever have a day where you, you, you really wanted to pray, but you just realized you never had the time? Well, Sabbath isn't like that. You've got nothing else to do anyway. You might as well talk to God. You might as well study his word. You might as well be with him and be with the people that he has given you. And again, back, back to the children of Israel for a minute. Think about that. They, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, we're told. That means every day for 40 years, they knew if they were going to eat, it was because God was going to show up. Think about the trust that that built, where for 40 years, God never missed a day. God never called in sick and said, hey, you guys are going to have to find your own food tomorrow. I, I'm not feeling good. Never. And, and of those 40 years, every single week, God did that miracle where the food lasted two days so they could have that day of rest. They learned to trust God and not themselves. And folks, ultimately, that's what Sabbath does for us. It teaches us something. It teaches us that your success in life is not based on your hard work. Your success in life is based on your God. And what he gives you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a hard one for me to get my brain around. That, that literally, I can take a day and waste it, at least from a worldly perspective, every week. And God's got it. He's got my life. He's, he's got a plan for my life. He has a plan for me to succeed in life. And that success may look, by the way, very different than what worldly success looks like. We've talked about that in this series. But it's God's plan for my life. And I can depend on him. And here's the thing that I find interesting. I am willing to depend on God for my eternal life and my salvation but I'm not necessarily willing to depend on God for making sure that I'm a good pastor. You fill in the blank, whatever that work is for you. Think about that. I mean, if I can trust Jesus with the forgiveness of my sins, if I can trust Jesus with eternity, if I believe with all my heart that Jesus did come into this universe for me and he died on a cross for me, he paid the price for my sins, he gave his life for me, why wouldn't I trust him that when he tells me, hey, why don't you take a day off every week, I've got it, that he means it. There's a, a third reason you should take a Sabbath and, and that is quite simply, you were made for it. You were literally built to rest every seventh day. Because you see, the Sabbath doesn't start in Exodus chapter 16. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the very beginning, we're told that God created this universe and he did it in six days. And, uh, and by the way, I don't get tied up about whether those were exactly 24-hour days or not. I, the Bible's not trying to give us a chronology. 
but it is telling us that, that there were these six days in which God created this universe, and then it says this amazing thing. It says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, one time I was preaching on this text, and I said, see, even God had to rest. And somebody came up to me after church and said, that's not what the Bible says, Mark. It doesn't say God had to rest. God doesn't have to do anything. I'm like, you're right. So God did not have to rest. We clear? But he did. He rested. He chose to take a day and set an example for us that, that we were made to take that rest. Isn't it interesting that in every single culture that has ever existed on the face of this world, they, this world, they all have seven days in a week. Every single one of them. I mean, they, they've found isolated, you know, people groups that were hidden away on islands and have been that way for hundreds of years. And guess what? They have seven days in a week. Everybody does. Do you ever wonder why that is? That's because that's what God made us for. Interestingly enough, do you know there was actually an experiment by the Russians? Uh, in 1929, the Russians decided we're not doing seven-day weeks anymore. They said, we are doing five-day weeks. And this is what they decided they would do. They would take their workforce and divide them into 20%, into fifths. And, and, and everybody got a different day off in their five-day week. And, th and that meant on any given day, 80% of the workforce was at work, while 20% of the workforce had a day off, which meant every day, 80% of the workforce was working. And their theory was they would get so much more done because they didn't have these weekend things that just everybody would work. But they'd get their day off. Every fifth day, they had a day off. Guess what? It was a disaster. <laughs> I mean, depression, suicide was up, productivity went way down, so much so that by 1931, literally just two years later, they went, whoa, 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 wait, 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 that didn't work. We're going to do a six-day week. So you're going to work five days, and, and everybody's going to take the same day off every week together, and we'll do a six-day week. Guess what? That didn't work any better. And finally, in 1940, they threw up their hands and went, and went all right, weeks are seven days again. It's what we were made for. We were built for that rhythm of taking a day off every seven days. It's built into who we are as human beings. And by the way, there's been a number of studies lately that have actually looked at this concept of Sabbath, and this is what these studies show. If you take one day off every week, you find reduced stress in your life, reduced inflammation and heart disease, boosted immune system, better short-term memory, longer life, and even higher work productivity. In other words, you get more done in six days if you take a full day and do nothing than you would if you just worked all seven days. I know that doesn't sound right, but it is. It's what the studies show. Now, one more little thing about these rhythms and this gift that we have of Sabbath. And, and that is, we often think of it this way. We think of it that, that we work hard so that we can rest, right? You know, you work hard so you can build up vacation days so you can take a nice vacation. Or just every week, you know, you say, I'm going to work really hard this week so when Friday afternoon gets here, I don't have to think about work for the weekend. I can, I can take a good, restful weekend, right? We think that way. We think about working hard to rest, but you know, the Bible teaches that that's the exact opposite rhythm that God created us for. I, it's no accident that right there in the beginning of Genesis, when it talks about God creating, it puts the evening first and then the morning. 
And, and once again, our, our brothers and sisters uh, in Israel, the, our Jewish friends, they get that. That's why they start their day, like I said before, at sundown. The beginning of their day starts with rest. The concept is this, while you are sleeping and resting, God is preparing your next day. He's at work. While while you've got your head on your pillow and you're sound asleep, God isn't resting. God is working, and he is preparing the next day for you. He's preparing things for you to do that next day. We rest to work. And we have this promise from God that if we follow what God has given us, if we, if, we, if we spend times of just resting, knowing I don't have to get anything done right now because God's got this, my success depends on him, when we do that, then when we work, it won't be wasted. It won't be for nothing. I have one last story I want to tell you today that, to kind of wrap up this whole series that we've been doing. Um, uh, this guy is my favorite author. His name is uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, I, I remember I was about 10 years old when someone first introduced me to his uh, kind of epic three-volume work, The Lord of the Rings. How, how many of you have read The Lord of the Rings? Yeah, just, just one of my favorite things I've ever read in my life, you know? Um, but that's not my favorite thing that he wrote. It wasn't until many years later I learned that, that Tolkien wrote this little story um, for, a, for a little journal called Leaf by Niggle. And I want to tell you that story today. You see, uh, Leaf by Niggle is, a, is about this guy, and his name is Niggle. And, and by the way, the word Niggle means to, to, to kind of fastidious, fastidiously work on something and really not get much done at all. And, uh, and, and so right in the beginning, we're told that this guy's name was Niggle. He, he liked to work on things, but really not get much done at all. And we're also told right, right away that he's an artist. And, and he has in his mind this picture of this beautiful tree. And, uh, and he, he obsesses about creating this tree, painting this tree, uh, setting this beautiful mountain scene. But it's this, it's this incredibly beautiful tree that he really wants to make his life's work to create this amazing painting. And he goes so far as to, to create a huge canvas on one of the walls in one of the rooms in his house so he can paint this incredibly beautiful tree. But, but Tolkien tells us in the book there's a couple of problems. The first problem is this, that he says it this way. He says, Niggle is the kind of painter that paints leaves better than trees. In, in other words, he can get so overwhelmed with the task at hand, trying to create that one perfect leaf and get the shading just right and how the sun shines on it and whether there's dew on it or not, that he can work so hard on that one leaf that, that he really doesn't get much done on the tree. And that, that ends up being true in, in Niggle's life. And there's another problem too. Niggle can procrastinate sometimes. And, uh, and even though he wants to be working on his tree, sometimes he doesn't. And, uh, and, and sometimes he doesn't because he's lazy, and other times he doesn't because his neighbor needs his help, and other times he doesn't because he has other tasks he needs to get done, you know, the laundry still needs to get done, and all those things. And so as a result, for years and years, not much gets done on Niggle's tree. Now there's one other thing that Tolkien tells us at the beginning of the book about Niggle, that Niggle knows that someday, the day is coming when he's going to have to go on a long journey, and it becomes very evident as you're reading the story that really what he's talking about is that journey is a symbol for his death. He knows he's going to die. And sure enough, 
the day comes we're told that the chauffeur shows up to take him on his long journey. And, uh, and Niggle looks at his canvas with, with not much on it at all and goes, oh my gosh, I, 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 I didn't finish my tree. And he's, he's just in tears. Now, after Niggle's gone, we're told that uh, when the people eventually come to buy his house, they find this canvas and really the only thing on it worth saving is one little leaf. So, so, so they cut it out and they put it in a frame and they take it to the local art museum where it sits back in a corner, leaf by Niggle, and, and before long it gets forgotten just like Niggle does. But the story isn't over. You see, we find Niggle on, on a train, a train headed for the heavenly mountains. And, uh, and, and as Niggle approaches the final stop on that journey, uh, that place in heaven, he looks out the window and he sees there his tree, just the way he imagined it. Perfect. And Niggle realizes that, that he hadn't really wasted his life after all, that, that the work that he did was a small part of a much bigger reality that God was doing in this universe. I love these words. It says this, the world before death, his old world had forgotten Niggle almost completely. But in his new country, the permanently real world, he finds that his tree, in full detail and finished, was not just a fancy of his that died with him. No, it was indeed part of the true reality that would live and be enjoyed forever. Folks, in some ways, we're all niggle. We all have dreams, don't we? About what we're going to accomplish in life. You know, I look around the room and I see some of you are young enough that those dreams are still very real for you, right? And, and you know you are going to accomplish great stuff in this life. And you've got some plans and some dreams and you can't wait. Others of you, I look around the room and I go, yeah, you know that life gets in the way of those things. And, and, and you will have some successes, and you may even from a worldly perspective have amazing success in life. But the reality of it is, all of us find that, that our dreams somehow fall short in this sinful world. They will never be all that we know we were created to be. That's just the way sin works. That's the way this broken world works. It gets in the way of our dreams. But folks, our dreams are not in vain. That's the promise we have. That when we work, when, when we use the gifts that we have been given by God to, to do the work that he gives us to do, no matter what that work is, we find that it's part of a much bigger work, a work that God is doing in this universe. And indeed, because of that, that work will last forever. Would you guys bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, today I want to thank you for two things. First of all, I want to thank you for the gift of work. Even on a Sunday, knowing that Monday morning's coming, Lord, I want to thank you for the gift of work. Um, with all its drudgery, with all its problems, Lord, it's still an amazing gift from you. And Lord, sometimes we see little glimpses of how our work fits in with your work and we realize we are part of something much, much bigger than us. Lord, thank you. But today, Lord, I want to thank you for one other thing and that's the gift of rest, the gift of Sabbath. And Lord, 
Um, I pray that I would, and, and for all of us here, Lord, I pray that we would trust you enough to on a regular basis just take some time to just be, to, to, to receive from you the gift of rest and life, to spend time with you and with the people that you have given us, to enjoy this gift of life knowing that ultimately our success doesn't depend on how hard we work, but it depends on you, the God that loves us and who lavishes us with his grace. Lord, thank you for those gifts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.